God to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, and I want you to rest your eyes on verse 9 and 10. Amen, amen. I hear some cell phones being uh, tapped. Amen. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah and Elisha asked, said to Elisha, ask, what may, may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it will not be so. Father, we bless you. We thank you because you're here. Father, you know every need that is represented here. You are the teacher and you are the one who's able to cause your word to penetrate those fortresses that would hinder us from becoming all that you have created us to be. And so, God, we are asking that the Spirit of God would fall fresh and that he would have his way. For we ask this in Jesus' name in the church today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I debated about how to, pre to preach a very powerful passage in the Word of God and to give it some structure because I believe uh, there is structure there. And really, the issue was for me to find it and to talk to us about some very uh, important truths that are often lost in the church today. When Cuban-born Rosie Ruiz, age 26, finished in the division of the Boston Marathon with a time of 2 minutes and 31, 31 2 hours, 31 minutes and 56 seconds on April 21, 1980, she received a medal and a laurel wreath and a silver bowl. However, eight days after Ruiz, was, she was stripped of her victory. After the race officials learned that she had jumped into the race about a mile before the finish. Rosie Ruiz intended to jump into the middle of the pack of runners, but miscalculated one mile from the end. She didn't realize that she was ahead of 448 women who had actually run the race. What gave Rosie away was her near record-breaking time. No woman, only three women in the entire world, had run that race in Boston in the time that she finished. Now, what's interesting about Rosie Ruiz is that she desired a crown. She desired recognition. She wanted to be able to 
boast to her friends that she had run a marathon. But like too many today, we want a crown, but we don't want to bear our cross. And I want to talk as we move into this scripture today about the cost of your call. We want greatness, most of us do, but few of us are willing to pay the price. Unlike a cold or the flu, you, you can't catch greatness. It doesn't rub off of you because you're sitting next to somebody. Greatness does not come upon you. It demands that you give something from within you. In order to go up, you must give up much. God's calling on these men and their families' lives will cost you and cost them something. When God told Abraham to, to gave Abraham the promise for his life, land, seed, great name, and, uh, all, and, and, and um, that through his life, the world would be blessed. We all are into the blessing. But in order to enact the blessing, to initiate it, Abraham had to do something. He had to leave the familiarity of his comfort. The Lord gave Joseph a great vision. He said, one day, your brothers are going to bow. They're going to acknowledge you as being superior to them. And he didn't fully understand it. And most of us, as we've realized a vision for God, if we were totally honest, we didn't know that God was taking us where we are. But here we are. But it cost Joseph to realize the greatness that was in him. Time in prison, time away from his family, God's call will cost you. When the Lord told Paul after he knocked him down on the road heading to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he revealed his plan and purpose for Paul's life, he says, you will stand before kings who wouldn't want to stand in a palace before a king. But he also added, you will suffer many things. Jesus himself, when we talk about the greatest person who ever walked the face of the earth, the Bible says he had two constant companions, sorrow and grief. <laughs> the Bible says he was acquainted with sorrow and grief every single day for the greatness that Jesus accomplished through the ministry that he perfectly fulfilled. He was accompanied by grief and sorrow. It will cost you something to become all that God wants you to be. I want you to know when you pay the price for what God has determined, even before you were born, before you knew that there was a you, that he will give you double for your trouble. And that's what the prophet Elijah promises Elisha when he raises the question, what would you have me to do? And Elijah said, I want a double portion of the spirit that is upon you. And then the prophet said, well, if you do, if you go through, God will give you double for your trouble, but it's going to cost you. Now, I want to talk about some things that... Uh, aren't often preached about in the church. 
And there are just two things. The first thing that I want to talk about ha has to do with the cost of doing effective ministry involves a process, involves a process called preparation. Preparation. God doesn't send you or elevate you without preparation. And so the call on your life, it's a process, and the process begins and it really never ends. You're always being prepared for something. But we want to talk about preparation. And when you have reached the proper level of preparation, the capacity to do effective ministry will produce a product called ordination. <laughs> so start with preparation. And when you have responded to the training properly, the outcome of that will be the next level of ministry from preparation to ordination. You can give us some kind of air. Amen? You don't have to kill us. But amen. Amen. The cost of doing effective ministry involves the process called preparation. Preparation. I remember as we would drive from Niagara Falls, New York, to Philadelphia, our small kids would constantly be saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they didn't want to go and do it. They didn't want the process. <laughs> and too often, that's how we are. In chapter 19 of 1 Kings, we read these words after Elijah has gotten the memo from Jezebel which said, about, about this time tomorrow, I'm taking you out. And Elijah fled in fear, and he quit the ministry, and he asked God to kill him. He wanted to commit suicide. He said, do the, the Kevorkian on me. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. If it can't happen the way I want it to, I'd rather be dead. And so what God does when we don't respond to his call, even when it doesn't work out the way that we want it to, God will replace us. <laughs> and so here's what God does in verse uh, uh, 16. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elijah, the son of Shapheth, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So God says, I got a replacement for you. <laughs> now, the good thing about the prophet Elijah is that he obeyed because I don't know if I would have been trying to find my replacement if I thought that my ministry wasn't over. But what I want you to understand about this preparation process, you can't go on the internet and become a preacher. You, you can't join a church and often the, all you need to be is a man and you got a voice, you a preacher next. No, that's not how this works. What we understand about this preparation process is that the call of God, the preacher's life, starts with this process called preparation. Was, Elisha was handpicked by God. God appoints, God chooses, God determines. The Lord sent Elijah to Elisha to anoint him. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, the, the apostle Paul puts it this way. How, can, how shall they preach unless they have been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are those feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings 
unless you've been sent. Some people just went. They never were sent. If you have been determined by God in his holy counsel that he wants you to be a minister of the gospel, he will handpick you. And some of the evidence of people that are handpicked by God, we're not going to read all the scriptures, but when Elisha was found by Elijah, he was working in the field, he was plowing, and he had 12 employees under his supervision. His father was wealthy, and it was there in that context that he was called. I want you to understand, not only was he handpicked by God, but he was hardworking. God doesn't pick lazy preachers. He wasn't hardly working, he was a hard worker. And one of the things that you know that you ain't been called if you lazy. If you don't want to put the, the, the time in and you want to steal folks' sermons by plagiarizing and, 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 and copying and pasting, God didn't call you. He was handpicked. He was hardworking. He was Holy Spirit anointed. The Bible says when Elijah saw Elisha, he took off his mantle and he placed it symbolically representing that an anointing, that an enabling, that a gifting, that, a, a, that an appointment was occurring. And so what happens when we become believers and we respond to the call of God, there's a mantle that comes upon us. And it's not, it's not necessarily, in this case, it was material, and you could see it. But the anointing that God gives is that when every one of us are born and we're chosen before the foundation of the earth to be a part of the family of God, to complete the work of God, you have a special gifting. Jesus put it this way. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach Preaching is not just giving a good speech. It's not just rabble-rousing and give me a J. Give me an E. If you love him, say you love him. If Jesus, that's not what preaching is. And some people think that it's entertainment. Paul talked about we are persuaders. Yes, we are. But we did not come with you in the persuasion of speech, but we came to you in the authority, in the anointing, in the power of the Spirit of God that is able to change lives. And so he was hand-chosen, hard-working, Holy Spirit-filled, but he also had a heart for people. When Elijah said, when Elijah said God has anointed you, follow me, uh, the first thing that Elisha did, this man, very successful, got all kinds of money, got all kinds of, his future is ahead of him. He's the next in line to take over his father's business. The Bible says that he ran after the prophet. And then he thought, oh, my mother and my father, my family, can I go back and let my family know what's about to happen? Even though he was recognizing the call of God on his life, he had a heart for people. Don't you even begin to think God has called you into the ministry to preach if you don't love people. People aren't notches for your belt. They aren't indicators of your greatness. They don't go around or should not be expected to kiss your ring. Any true person called of God into the ministry, the first evidence of that is that you'll have a heart of a servant. 
Elijah had a heart for people. Elisha had a heart for people, which, which was another confirmation that God had called him. If you don't want to be around people, I'm an introvert. I don't talk to people. I don't have time for the nonsense. People get on my nerves. And, and I, you know what? All you got is one time to get on my wrong side. And, that, and I know they say three strikes, but in my mind, if you're that way, stay in the pew. Stay in the pew. But I won't be able to put my nice shoes on. I won't be able to put on a bad suit. I won't. No, 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 no. The brother ain't about that, sister. Elijah had a heart for people. Holy Spirit filled, hand-picked, hardworking. But he also was heavenly minded. He left his father, his lucrative business, his parents, his family, his comfort zone, his, his props. He left all of that to follow a person who actually had been a stranger to him, but now Elijah was the spiritual father of Elisha. What are you willing to leave? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to change to really experience God in ways that you've been talking about? I know we claim it and we, we, we cast it out and we get all loud and, and we love the public side of it. But, but to, to, what are you willing to sacrifice to, to experience the power of the resurrection? Paul says, I forget those things which are behind and I press, I'm straining, I'm doing everything that I can to win the prize. What is the prize? A new title? No. What is the prize? More money. What is the prize? A bigger church? No, but to know him in the the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. So the, the preparation starts when you're supposed to be preaching and you're the minister of God when he puts his word in your mouth. And they said, guess what? I'm putting it in your mouth, but I, I watch over it <laughs> to make sure that it's performed. From the call, you go to the classroom. Now, every preacher may not have a Bible college degree. I recommend it. Most preachers aren't going to go to seminary. I had to find out that seminary wasn't a cemetery before I went. But every called preacher of the word of God will spend time in the classroom. Elisha was Elijah's student. Every minister should have a spiritual father. You ought to have someone who can mentor you, who can help to develop the gift that's within you. And if that person is not where you are attending church, then you are at the wrong place. Elijah was the mentor for Elisha. He also attended the School of the Prophets. Elijah was uh, the head of the School of Prophets, the School of Preachers. It was a school that the preachers went to, and they were in multiple places, but we're going to see where the headquarters was. 
So you ought to be trained. You ought to be a lover of the word of God. You ought to be hungry and thirsting after righteousness. So preachers that don't want to look at the Bible, preachers don't know the Bible. You know more about the Bible than them, then you got the question if they've been in the classroom. I want to look at some of the courses every called minister has to take in preparation for ordination. He learned, this is the first class, you, you've got to go to the class that teaches about warfare. He learned about warfare from the prophet Elijah. You need to know how to fight before you can be released. The Bible says in verse 1, it says, and, and going back to chapter 2, and it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went, to, went, went with Elisha from Gilgal. Notice where Elisha and Elijah were. They were in Gilgal. Gilgal represents a place of warfare. It was the place when the nation of Israel finally was in, in the in the position to do battle, to, to realize the promise that God had made 400 years earlier, actually 440 years now. Joshua is the great general of the nation of Israel's army, and so he set up his headquarters for fighting, for taking back what the enemy stole in Gilgal. Now, what Joshua did in the physical realm, warring to get Jericho and to, to get uh, Ai and the other places that God said, wherever you put your feet, <laughs> I'm going to give it to you, but you got to fight to get it. Gilgal represents to the man and the woman of God and the people of God, it represents warring in the spirit. It's the place where we start, where we, we you ought to have, a, you ought to have a, 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 a quiet place. You ought to have a fortress. There ought to be a place where you go to prepare yourself for battle. Gilgal. The Bible says that our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Every man and woman of God, when God calls you, you need to know how to do warfare. You need to know how to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You need to know how to call on that name that is above every name, because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You need to learn how to plead the blood when somebody's need to be delivered, when somebody's sick. You need to be able to fight in that name. You need to be able to stand tallest when you're on your knees. And if you don't know how to fight spiritually, you're not ready to leave preparation for ordination. So the first class was the place of warfare. Too many Christians don't understand we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness and hyperlate. Here you are calling your husband these names, and calling your wife these names. And if I could just get rid of her, rid of him. No, 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 no. It's not by might, nor by our power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the devil's devices. He also learned in another class. They leave Gilgal 
and they go to Bethel. And the name Bethel means house of God. It was at Bethel when Jacob, it was Jacob, the trickster, the swindler, the supplanter, the hill catcher, the con artist was fleeing from his brother Esau because he had stolen his birthright. And so as he is making his way to escape from Esau's anger, during his sleep, the angels begin to descend and ascend in a vision. I want you to know what God will do when he's calling you. He'll make sure you know it's him. Now, some of the dreams we're talking about, really, you need some some Alka-Sauce or Pepto-Bismol. You done ate some bad pizza. You done ate some old leftover food. That ain't God. When he woke up, Jacob realized that he had been in the presence of God. And the scripture says that he worshiped the Lord. Bethel is a place of worship. It's a place where you, you spend one-on-one -on -one time in the presence of the Lord. It's that place that Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you let me in, I'll come in and we can sup one with another. It's a place where you can get into the face of God in order to get to know God for who he is. It's that place that Moses said, show me your glory, God. And if you don't, if you don't lead me, Lord, I don't want to take another step. I want you to understand when you've been in the presence of the Lord and you taste it and seen that oh ain't nothing like it if you've not learned that sometimes God will have you at Gilgal a place of warfare but while you're battling just remember that Bethel ain't far away because your worship is where your victory is and if you don't, if you're trying to follow someone who doesn't hear from God, who can't get in his presence, who can't, like David was surrounded by his men, they want to stone him at Ziglag. And the Bible says why they had the stones and why they were yelling and blaming him. Get rid of this preacher. Time to get another pastor. And if it hadn't been for him, I'd still have money in the bank. If it hadn't been for him, the Bible says that David encouraged himself, strengthened himself. He took a dose of God right in the presence of his enemy. That's what David was talking about. You prepare a table. If you don't know how to worship the Lord, you don't understand what it means to have a table prepared for you. And so he leaves Gilgal, a place of warfare, passes that class. Here's the interesting thing. Every time Elijah is led by the Lord to go to another place. He says to Elisha, you don't have to come. I want you to understand that everything that God has called you to, there's always an exit ramp. You can quit anytime. You don't have to come. You don't have to get up a little earlier. You don't have to open up your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to come. And Elijah said, I, as I live, there's no way that I've come this far to turn back now. There's another class that we need to take. So the prophet says, God is telling me to go to Jericho. 
Jericho. See, the prophet Elijah had to learn how to wait on God. It's, it's one thing to, to know how to do warfare. Another thing to be a worshiper. But it was at Jericho that the spies were sent out and they were gone for 40 days and 40 nights. The people had to wait until the spies returned. And then when the spies returned, the Lord gave direction to Joshua. He said, tell the people, this is really crazy, watch around the walls for seven days in total silence. We would have messed up. It wouldn't have happened. The walls would have never fallen because somebody going to talk. But God was teaching them how to wait. And then on the seventh day, they were supposed to march around the wall seven times. And then they had to wait some more because Joshua had to hear from God. And when God spoke to Joshua, he gave the command. And when the command was given, then the people responded in the walls. <laughs> you have to go to the class of waiting on God. You need to know how to wait on the Lord until your change comes. You need to learn how to wait on the Lord if he doesn't change your circumstance. It could be that he's trying to change you. You need to understand that they that wait upon the Lord, you will have renewed strength. You'll be able to run and not get weary. You'll be able to, you understand, somebody understand what I'm talking about. You need to learn how to work, wait. Wait on God. After you worship and you still haven't heard, wait. Wait. He leaves Jericho. And there's one more class. They go to the Jordan. And Elisha, Elisha is following his spiritual father and mentor, Elijah. And it was there that Elijah said to him, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives, as, as your soul lives, I will not. I ain't getting off on this exit ramp. I know they didn't look at me right today. They didn't say a whole lot of amens. They don't act like they appreciate. I ain't getting off this ramp. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the school of the prophet, of the sons of the prophets, went. And they stood facing them at a distance. They didn't have the, the, uh, the ability to do what we do. We can, we can film everything. They follow at a distance. See, every preacher isn't called to be ordained. It was Elisha that God told Elijah to ordain. Now, Elijah took his mantle and he rolled it up and he struck the water and the water was divided this way and that way. You're talking about a you want that kind of power. I, I, I love preaching. I love getting, uh, being effective. And I'm watching what God is. And I have to remember what God is doing. But I want power. I want, when Pope leads, I want, I want them to know that they were in the presence of a man of God. Elijah dropped his mantle on the water and the water parted. The scripture says in James chapter 5 that Elijah was like unto us. So God could do it for him. What about you? Oh, that was kind of weak. Okay. 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 Then the Jordan River, the Jordan River was the place of wonders and signs. 
it was a place of wonders and signs. Remember when Moses died, God said in Joshua chapter 1, my Moses, my servant, has died. Now you rise up and you take these people across the Jordan. But to get across the Jordan, God says, I'm going to be with you, be of good courage. And, and so what Joshua had to do, he had to step in the water for what Moses did with the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. Joshua stepped in the Jordan River and the Jordan River parted. It was a place of wonders. The Jordan River was the place where Naaman came and, and, and the prophet Elijah says, dip seven times and your leprosy will be cured. You'll be healed. And he looked at the dirty, muddy Jordan River. He said, I see you, but I hate to be you. I ain't about to get my royal self, even though I'm all leopard up. I ain't getting in no dirty water. I know I got a disease. I know it's incurable. I know I, 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 I'm, you know, people looking at me and I got to say unclean, unclean. But when he humbled himself and he stepped into the Jordan River and he dipped seven times, the Bible says on the seventh time when he came up, his skin was like the skin of a baby. He was completely healed. It was at the Jordan that the Lord caught up the prophet Elijah, took him into heaven on the chariots of fire. He is one of two people who left this earth without dying. I said, Lord, if you did it for him and eat not, how about me? The Jordan was a place of wonder and sign. It was at the Jordan when uh, the prophets were trying to build a place to stay that one, they only had one axe. And the head of the axe, which was borrowed, fell into the Jordan River. And, and they ran to the prophet, Elijah. They said, Elijah, Elijah, the, the, the axe has fallen and we can't see, you know, the Jordan River. He can't see. He said, show me where you laid it. He took a stick and put it in the water and the axe floated. The Jordan River was a place of miracles, a place where God would show up and show out. I want you to understand, you may be one who can war in the spirit. You may be one who worships the Lord. And you may be one who waits on God. But if you don't know the wonders of God, if you don't understand that all things are possible with him, that he is the God of all flesh and there's nothing too hard for him and all he needs to do is speak it and what didn't exist will exist if you don't understand that we serve a God of miracles. What do you have to offer me? We treat the miracles of the Bible like common stories. But God still heals. God still delivers. He set captives free. He delivers folks from drugs. He saved dead marriages. He resurrects dead things. All you need to do is take Jesus where you laid the dead thing. And he'll speak. And your Lazarus will come forth. Preparation starts with your call. The call will follow with a classroom experience. And then you have the capacity to effectively produce godly ministry through ordination. And so now the prophet asked, he couldn't get rid of Elijah. I don't know about you, but I love being around men and women of God. 
my pastor in Philadelphia, all he got to do, he don't have to teach, just talk. Talk out of your 50 years of experiences. That's good enough for me. And so here he was, now the prophet says, the Lord is going to take me. I want you to know that there's some things that God, that the prophet, the man of God can't tell everybody. That's our problem. We're telling everybody but the right people. And so Elijah told Elisha. He didn't tell everybody else. I want you to, here's what happens. When you learn how to wait on the Lord, Elijah already, Elisha already knew. Waiting on the Lord gives you discernment. It's like you have God's personal number. He's on your priority text, and he's in your, your favorites. And he reveals things. He, he lets you know when he's about to do stuff that other folks are still kind of figure out after it's been done 10 years ago. <laughs> How did this happen? Elisha knew that God was about to do something because whenever the prophet said, do you know that your master's going to be taken? Do you know that he's going to go? He said, yep, I know. I know. There ought to be some things that God can whisper into your ear when he calls you that you know, and you know there's no way that you should know. And then when you get up to preach, and you're teaching, and you start saying what God told you, and people are in the audience saying, how in the world? I know my husband called. I know my wife must have did it again. Always tell, no, 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 the wife, the Lord will give you the enemy's plans. Let's, let's finish this up. God revealed to the prophet Elijah when Elijah was spiritually ready for the next step. He didn't tell anybody else. He just told the prophet. And when the prophet, the, the visionary of the house, when God tells the prophet what, when the spiritual sons are ready from preparation to ordination, the man of God and even the church, we're not ordaining anybody. We're just acknowledging what God already did. <laughs> we, God wrote the check. <laughs> God wrote the document way back in eternity past. We're simply signing it. We get to sign God's check. How good is that? Mm. Obama out. <laughs> Here's how you know that you're beyond the preparation stage. Your motive for service will be right. Elijah said, what can I do for you? Make me a bishop. I want to be an apostle. I don't know how to spell it, but I, th I think that, that, sounds, that sounds good. You, you see, each, I've been serving you. I've had one or two. You know, I've been your main servant. I, I want some. I want. I want ten servants. Please make sure you, with the kind of power you got, you can make the Jordan split. Please put some money in my account. I'm tired of playing the lottery. Come on now. He didn't ask for a material blessing. He didn't ask for. He had a blank check. He said, give me the blessing of the firstborn. I want twice as much spiritual 
influence and ability to do ministry than you had. Because the anointing that you had, Elijah, didn't keep you from quitting. The anointing that you had didn't keep you from giving into your fear. The anointing that you had didn't keep you from becoming depressed. And I, I want a greater anointing. When the Jezebels in my life are threatening me, I don't want to have the anointing that doesn't enable me. His motive was right. He wanted more spiritual ability to serve God. He wanted double for his trouble. <laughs> The method that God uses when he ordains will honor him. The prophet said, yeah, you saw me throw down my mantle and the Jordan split, but you need to get this, don't get this twisted. He said, you were asking a hard thing. Why was it hard? You just split. No, this ain't my power. This, the, the power ain't in the mantle. It's in the God of the mantle. I, it's, it's him doing the work. I'm just an instrument. I'm just an earthen vessel that God has used. The method is really, we are a part of what God is doing, but really, let's not get this thing confused. It ain't the man. I, I know, oh, didn't the pastor preach it? Ain't he great? I don't know how, if your pastor's as good as mine, and boy, when he wicks his head back and goes, ah, oh, Lord, nobody can scream like my pastor. <laughs> what about Jesus? Here's another thing that will be true. The miracle was based on God's timing. When it was time to promote Elisha to a new ministry, he, he created a ministry for Elijah by removing Elijah. Now, I ain't going nowhere. Don't get, this, don't get confused. <laughs> as far as I know, let me just say that. But it was God's timing. Not your schooling, not your grades, not those rebel rousers that you've been talking to. And I'm not saying that these brothers would do anything close to that. I don't know why the pastor treats you like that. I mean, if he was really a man of God, he must be intimidated and insecure. He don't want nobody. No, 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 that ain't this. This is God. God showed up with the chariots of fire. And he, he separated Elijah from Elisha. God had to do that because if it was up to Elisha, he said when he was going into heaven, it was like a child crying at his mother's casket. He said, my father, my father. And he watched the angels take his spiritual father into heaven. Here's another thing that happens when ordination occurs. Here's, here's the actual act of ordination. The mantle of Elijah drops out of the chariot. And it falls on Elisha. Now, here's the deal. Just because the mantle drops on you doesn't mean you, need, you want to receive it. Doesn't mean you're going to handle it right. It fell on him. Handling 
handling it right not only means that you receive what comes along with the mantle, but you also are acknowledging that you're going to rely on the God of the mantle. Here's what happens. The mantle was only worn by kings and prophets. If you showed up with a collar and a robe, you know that's a preacher or a choir member. <laughs> so back in, the, in, in ancient times, this was a cloak that only prophets, so if, if you walked into a room and you had on this mantle, people knew, that's a preacher. Now, by the mantle coming upon Elijah, that meant that there was a change in power. But before there's a change in power, there's a, there's, there was a change in position. His status is now changing because only prophets could wear mantles. Elijah was being ordained. He was, being, he was no longer going to be the student. He, was going to, he wasn't no longer going to be men, the mentee. He was going to be the mentor. He was in a position now where he could lead, where he could do things that prior to being let go out of preparation, ordination releases you to other things that God had been holding back. This also meant a change in power. Elijah did, he had, when you read the, the story of Elisha, he said, give me a double portion of your spirit. He did twice as many miracles. Elijah did 12, he did 24. And probably the greatest miracle of all, the, the, the Bible says that the prophet Elisha died and they buried him in a tomb. <laughs> and one day some of the Israelites were looking because they were hiding from the Philistines and, and the Assyrians and, and they, they were just living and, and you know, hiding out. And so they, they saw a, a, a band of raiders when they were trying to bury a friend. And so to escape the raiders, they just dropped this dead body into an open, uh, into a grave. It happened to be the grave of the prophet Elisha. <laughs> and when the dead man's body touched the bones of Elisha, he came back to life. He was even, he was even powerful in death. There was a change in power. There was also a change in privilege. In verse 15, and we're almost done. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho, the place of waiting, saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on you. See, when God calls you, he will authenticate you. He will confirm you to others. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. They respected what God had just done. There's a change of privilege. And by the way, leadership is a privilege. It's a right. It's not a right. Because Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. This also meant finally, when, you, when ordination comes, when the mantle falls on you and re, you receive it and you're relying on it, there's also a change in proper respect. The Bible says that the prophet, at the end of the chapter, was walking to his next church, getting ready to minister. And some young boys begin to say, oh, bald-headed prophet. This was before Michael Jordan and bald was cool. Oh, bald-headed prophet. Oh, beanie-head prophet. No hair on your head. They were taunting the prophet. 
And the Bible says that the prophet stared at them. And they kept on taunting. They kept on trolling him. And then the Bible said he pronounced a curse. And an animal came from the woods and killed <laughs> those taunters. I want you to know, and I, I'm, I'm always very careful when it says, touch not the Lord's anointed, neither do them in harm. I, I'm just, there ain't no perfect preachers. When you find one, you just stay away because when you get with them, you're going to taint them because you're not perfect. You know, we are men, but we are men of God. That's why, that's why there's a need to pray for the men and the women of God because their targets, they're at the front of, the, of, 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 of God's army. I want you to understand that God will give you double for your trouble. He will do that when you're willing to pay the price, when you're willing to carry the mantle and rely on him. God will give you what you need. It reminds me as we come to close, there's a woman who was in the house. She was cooking in the kitchen, and her teenage son was working on a car, tinkering with a car. And as he's working on the car, he decided to jack it up. I'm going to do what my dad did. He works under the car, and he lifts his car, elevates the car, and he's going to get under the car, and he's going to fix. He don't know what he's fixing, but he's going to do this. So he climbs up under the car, and the, the, act, the, the, uh, the uh, jack slips, and the car falls on him. The pressure of the car was so heavy, the 2,000-pound car was so heavy that he couldn't even scream. But something about a mother's instinct, something about waiting on the Lord and worshiping and warfaring in the spirit and understanding the wonders of God, it will give you discernment. Something didn't feel right. She just knew that something was wrong. And so she ran outside to the car and she, she sees her son pinned under the car, all of four foot seven inch, 120 pounds. She didn't have time to call 911. She began to pick up that car and lift it up. And she couldn't pull her son out. But as she's lifting, she's screaming. And the neighbors hear, and they, they run over, and they come, and they help. And so all, she held that car until the neighbors came. Now, the question is, where in the world did she get double trouble, trouble, a double blessing for her trouble? I want you to know, ministers of God, when the time is necessary, when God needs to do something extraordinary, if you would simply be obedient, he'll give you the strength that you never knew you had. He'll give you the ability to see what you could have never seen. He gives you the ability to run when you're tired. He gives you the ability to know what people are doing in the privacy of their rooms. He gives you the ability to speak a word. He'll give you double for your trouble. Amen. Stand with me. Amen. 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 I've been directing that message primarily to preachers and those who don't run away from their call, some people God has called and you don't want to pay the price, but the call doesn't go away because you don't respond. You're just in disobedience. The worst thing that could happen to you is not that you become a preacher. <laughs> well, I'm going to be broke. No, God will provide. With every head bowed and all eyes closed,